I'm honored to be talking with Rack Rizam today. Rack is the host of the podcast In a Perfect World and author of the book Aya Awakenings, A Shamanic Odyssey. Aya Awakenings is also the title of his documentary and retreat center in Peru. Rack calls himself an experiential journalist, writing about and helping shape the emergence of a new cultural paradigm in the 21st century, bridging the worlds of shamanism, consciousness, and popular culture. He's currently developing an episodic TV show called Shamans of the Global Village. Find more at rakrizam.com. Terence McKenna once said that history is a psychedelic experience, and I've heard it said that nature is psychedelic, and it seems to me that reality itself is psychedelic. What do you think? Quite a few little embedded concepts within that question. Number one is like, what is psychedelic? Number one, what is reality? But we can get to that. I mean, psychedelic traditionally was coined in the 50s by Humphrey Osmond and Aldous Huxley, I think those two of them. And it comes from the Greek psyche, you know, or the mind. It means to open the mind, which is all really good and well. But you mentioned Terence McKenna and this idea of history versus um, nature, for instance. You could say culture or nature, and culture is a cult, right? It's a cult embedded within nature. Nature is the primal matrix and reality. Nature is reality. Culture is a defense mechanism to nature, and I'll get to that in a minute. So the idea of psychedelic or mind opening was coined in the 50s, post-World War II, white picket fence America, like, you know, rolling out the suburban dream and the commodification and what was to become uber capitalism, right? It's essentially the product of the empire of the mind crescendoing and at that point in history, that peak of post-World War II history, having conquered everything. It conquered the old world. It conquered the peoples of the old world who had access to psychoactive materials which they were custodian for and enabled them to connect to larger reservoirs of consciousness and to the planet herself. It conquered um, time. It created the nine-to-five reality, it created the factory system, it created this compartmentalization, separation of us from nature, from space, and from time. It created boxes within boxes within boxes. And number one, what it created was the mind. Like, the mind obviously exists separate to culture, but culture has shaped the mind like an anvil, you know, from its natural formation within the overall organism of what our capacity is. We know we've got an intellect, we've got an intuition, we've got an imagination, we've got all these different capacities which utilize the mind. And previous cultures, especially a lot of the Eastern cultures, have a very different understanding of what the mind is. They say that essentially what we think of as the mind in the Vedic traditions is like wind on water on the surface of a lake. It's like the vritti, that's what they call it. It's like endless, ceaseless, ripples, ripples, thoughts thinking, 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 right? But that's not the mind. That's just the surface of the lake of mind. The depth of that lake they call sattva, and that is the, the like the ocean of consciousness itself. And if you go deep enough into that ocean of consciousness, you can reach atman, or your true nature, and liberation from the individuation, and this idea of samadhi, or reunion with the unity of source consciousness. We just think the mind is our thought and that narrow bandwidth frequency like one color of a rainbow but it's not the whole spectrum of consciousness 
So that is what the historical legacy has compressed us into, and it's become this rat race and there's socio-political reasons. But also what I believe is indigenous cultures point to the fact that there's world ages or seasons of consciousness itself, you know, and that we're either going through the Kali Yuga or a very dark time in the world ages and the cyclic nature of, um, it's almost like cosmic seasons, right? My shorthand is we've gone down to all of history, which is only ten to 12,000 years old, or as Terence used to say, his story. It's a story that we're told by the victors who have conquered all the other peoples and handed down the story. Um, and as archaeologists and academics and people like Graham Hancock are pointing out, there's these ancient civilizations which upset the story everywhere that seem to do, do amazing things and build you know, pyramids and structures which seem to be aligned with star systems. And it seems like we've had an expanded capacity of both consciousness and connection previously that we've lost in the different phases of the world ages. So what I believe, and come full cycle to what you were asking, is that in these world ages, we basically, all of history is like one bar consciousness, right? And we can have five bar consciousness, and we have had in different golden ages of the past which many indigenous people in many mythologies, even Australian Aborigines who have perhaps up to 80,000 years or longer of inhabitation of the Australian landscape and of systems in place to orally hand down the story, the, the story, you know, of their connection to the land, say they have dreamtime consciousness and it's something that we all had to a greater degree, which we lost, but they say it's coming back again. I've talked to people who have been initiated in different traditions of theirs. This idea of cycles of time, but not just time, but consciousness, makes me think that where in the start, the Mayans had their infamous calendar, the Mayan calendar, the 26,000 year galactic orbit of our solar system around the galaxy. We've crossed the elliptic of the galaxy now in our solar system's orbit, and we're getting bombarded by interstellar um, energies, things like magnetars, which are 100,000 times more powerful than the sun, every second, and the energetic synaptic web of all the planets and stars and galaxies all pulsing energy and feeding it through are bombarding Earth. And so the five bar signal is coming back because of our larger orbits of time and consciousness. So what I believe happened at a certain juncture in, in before history, like we fell into history, right, is that we had an expanded consciousness coming back to psyche in the mind and being a depth thing, like a deeper reservoir of connected almost cosmic consciousness which was enmeshed and one with nature and behind nature with the source that creates and infuses and is nature and all of a sudden one day it it just was severed it was disconnected like if you've ever been fully totally head over heels in love with another human being right and then that human being dies or is lost or the love stops and that ache, that pain, that visceral, it's more than like a feeling, it's all-consuming grief, right? Imagine we had this expanded consciousness of interconnectedness with nature, knowing our place in the web of life, like the other animals, maybe with a, with a bit more capacity, but maybe we're in an equilibrium, a homeostatic type of sustainability and reciprocity with nature, and we're feeling the love of source in everything, the garden. We're one. We're all one. And then one day, it, it's gone. And the heartache, I believe, and this came to me on the psychedelic download intuition, is that that heartbreak, right, 
created the necessity for the ego to come to the fore like a life boy to life raft to keep us going from the separation from source. So before when our mind was nature's mind, then we were one with nature and then after the separation and the fall, basically I feel we have species PTSD. So the entire historical record is actually the one bar signal story of the survival of a species in heartbreak that has species PTSD that we don't even know it. We think it's normal. We think the egoic functionality is normal. It is in a sense, but it's it's a capacity of coping from the loss of oneness with nature that brought us from nature to culture. And culture, it's etymologically in the word, is a cult. It's a cult that's gotten so big like an algae bloom it's covered the planet, right? And most of culture has become warring tribal states versus each other. And that same underlying energy of scarcity, of dominance, of hierarchy, of all these egoic things which are there to protect us because there's not enough for everyone, because we need to survive, because we're scared, because we don't remember that we are one, that we're connected. That is falling away. That is the birth pangs of the new world coming full circle and the death cry of the old world as it's let go. And it's pretty messy. We can see it out there on planet Earth at the moment. So to come full circle to all that, I believe that this psychedelic renaissance is almost like a linguistical um, compression and shorthand for a much deeper spiritual re-emergence of our full capacity. Not just as human beings, but essentially as source consciousness on Earth inhabiting its creation once we get over the PTSD, which is culture. Culture is the artifact of the PTSD. And psychedelics and entheogens, which comes from the Greek to invoke the divine within, it's a whole lot different than the psyche, right? Opening the mind, great, but what about opening the heart? What about opening the soul? What about embodying and remembering our full capacity beyond just the mind? I think that's the great gift of what the 60s did. It opened the mind, but then ecstasy came, you know, a generation later in the 80s and opened the heart chakra, you know, neurochemically. Um, and then a generation later in the noughts, I mean, it's been around for a very long time, but it peaked again in Western culture with plant medicines, predominantly Madre Ayahuasca, which started to tune us in on the spirit level as well. So there's been a planetary stepping stone over multiple generations where we had to go through an initiation like with LSD in the 60s to then be ready for the garden in the north. We couldn't have gone from there to there um, because dominated culture, as Terence calls it, um, had extinguished our connection to the garden and to you know the planet, and we needed to layer ourselves back in. So coincidentally or not, these um, entheogens which are secreted by, by Gaia herself and which are potentially exopheromones which are cross-species modulators to transfer information, They've done a lot of tests now with EEG and MRI on the traditional psychedelics and antigens, LSD, psilocybin mushrooms, and ayahuasca. And they've discovered that essentially the psychoactives switch off different regional clusters of the brain called the default mode network. And it's not the substances themselves which are having the expanded consciousness. It's that they're shutting off these filters of the brain structure which stop us from connecting to the full spectrum of consciousness all the time like the ego does. So when we say psychedelics are ego dissolving, and 5-MeO is, is the predominantly uh, um, you know, king of ego dissolving, uh, is that it can totally flatline the sense of ego 
and then allow us to open up to our full potential according to whatever capacities and uh, sensitivities or traumas we may have. So these things have the potential to open us up, but it's, um, it's time and there seems to be a very concerted holographic sculpting of the awakening process in humanity, which I hope answers your question. We as a society and species are stuck in culture. Almost all we ever talk about and think about is our culture and history. We know almost nothing else. And Terence McKenna also talks about feeling, that if we could feel what we are doing, we would stop doing it. That what we need is a felt presence of immediate experience. So how do we get back there? What are the tools that can help us move beyond our limited culturally defined reality? and allow us to feel more. All roads lead to central source, and one person's path is not another person's path. And you know, for many, there is this huge psychedelic renaissance that's been you know, termed, which has been many generations in the making, which is peaking at the moment in Western culture. Um, but at the same time, there's a lot of other processes that are paralleling that and uh, synergizing with that. Um, and I think that, you know, I almost feel that essentially psychedelics are a phase we're going through and it's a phase we needed to go through like puberty, you know, and McKenna's, God bless Terence, because he's laid down the intellectual framework metaphorically of so much of the, the architecture of these types of discussions we have as a psychedelic and theogenic community. Um, but, you know, he, he said it as well, like if Gaia is secreting Psychedelic basically came out of the lab, and you know, if you go back to the, the root origin myth of Albert Hoffman and LSD-25 in Basel, Switzerland, 1943, and going back with that strange presentiment to that 25th um, derivative of LSD five years after he first synthesized it, there was essentially some type of mystic um, communion where he was directed to go back to that experiment five years after he first put it on the shelf. And it seems to me that the planetary intelligence and there's a whole psychedelic mythology around the very close um, approximation of the discovery of LSD and the development of the nuclear bomb in the Manhattan Project. Um, Bear Owsley, one of the acid chemists in the 60s, was one of the first to um, dissect this a lot, and I think he was quoting Jared Hurd, another philosopher of the 60s. But essentially, if you look at the Earth as, as we now know, and we forget, right, there was like... Uh, you know, 1969, when the um, you know the moon landings and they first took the first photos of the Earth from space, from outside the box. It's almost like outside the ego, from stepping out of the cultural imprint and seeing it. And then that was on the whole Earth catalog in 1970, which Stuart Brand presented. And there was this context where we started to be like goldfish in the bowl. We started to realize we're in a bowl because some goldfish went outside of the bowl and took a photo of the bowl. But we started to get an earth consciousness again. We started to get plugged into that, that awareness. Um, but it's recent. It's recent, that awareness of, of the earth. Um, there's this idea of the earth as Gaia, which is from you know the Greek goddess of the earth. And even James Lovelock, who used to work for NASA in the 70s, developed this Gaia hypothesis, this understanding that the earth is a... Um, a whole system which is synergizing and working for you know the conditions of life, and that it's alive. It's not just it's not just something we take from. It's not just something that we're you know randomly embedded in. It's actually an entity. It's almost like I, I like to think that humans are like um, the stomach 
biome or one strand in Gaia's biome. Like if all the species are the microorganisms in the Gaian macroorganisms, we're just one strand and we've gone bad, right? It's like we know now with a lot of the current biome theory that there's certain strands which can make you crave sugars and interesting things. There's even um, little microbacteria that can get into mice, and I think there's this thing called toxoplasmosis, where basically the, it can drive the, the mouse towards a cat to be eaten, so then the virus can get into the cat. I mean, they can be that influential in killing the host organism so it can replicate. So what are we doing in the Gaian organism, but you know, proliferating, taking, destroying, severing the web of life, polluting, killing like a cancer within the Gaian organism. But it's almost like we're a, a strand that's gone out of control. And there's the other strands as well. But collectively, there's a collective Gaian intelligence um, and wisdom in the, um, the amalgamation of all the species. It's almost like there's a species mesh network that's like a satellite dish receiver for consciousness itself, like Gaia creates the conditions to receive the broadcast signal from source consciousness. And the more species work in cooperation and concert together, the more the signal can be clear and not in dissonance and not cut up or not blocked, which is what history has done, you know, with everything we've done to the Earth and electromagnetic frequencies and bad food and separation and boxes, 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 boxes. So um, what I'm getting is psychedelics are a stepping stone and part of our process, but there's also potentially, and I think Terence talked about this, this idea of, um, you know, guy in puberty, that we're, we're coming up to what we're seeing isn't just the destruction of civilization and everything as we know, it's actually like the birth process and, and the, birth, the water's broken and there's blood and there's screaming and it's all pretty full on, but there's a larger process at work. Now, you know, um, that larger process, I believe, is mediated by the Gaian intelligence and the source consciousness behind it. And psychedelics had to come out of a lab because we were so distant from nature, because all these other indigenous cultures that had um, entheogens, which are part of the Gaian matrix and are secreted by her, we conquered, killed, destroyed, and severed awareness of and called it evil and the devil and the church and all that type of stuff. And so imagine this signal where guys like shit, like this, this, you know, my species are getting out of control. They're populating, they're taking over. And then all of a sudden at the peak of his story, we drop a few atomic bombs, right? So if Gaia is a macro, alive, intelligent, loving womb mother who is nurturing us as one of her species, we just dropped a fucking atomic bomb in her, in her, right? So here's the thing that Owsley looked into with the atomic theory in LSD. He said that essentially the planet has all these subtle layers. We go to the atmosphere, the ionosphere, the magnetosphere. There's all these layers. And one of the trippiest things I've ever researched is current astrophysics. Everything they say is this beautiful, interdependent, seamless web of connection within the planet, within the stars, within the galaxies. And it's, it's psychedelic. It's psychedelic in itself, astrophysics. And, you know, there's even this thing called an I-band ribbon on the outer edge of our solar system, which is connected to... They're all interconnected, right? And the, the magnetic field of the Earth and the Sun and, and all the planets and how they affect each other and constellations. It's, it's beyond the human capacity almost to appreciate the holographic, interconnected, interdependent 
nuances and it's like the whole universe is in love with itself and so it protects itself and it nurtures itself because it wants life to flourish because that's it that's the creation in the creation it's the algorithm of life the source code is it replicates right so when we drop an atomic bomb and there's this terrible youtube video where you can see 50 years of atomic bombs yeah as boom 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 they go boom, and they go boom boom yeah and they go boom 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 and then boom 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 and you know back in the 50s they were dropping thousands of atomic bombs so all those layers of the earth all the way up to the magnetosphere etc 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 are designed to filter out what radiation deadly radiation the atomic bomb is deadly radiation inside the planetary organism so imagine if you are a whole organism that's trying to communicate with different aspects of yourself and those aspects have cut themselves off from your biome, from nature, and they're in boxes and in concrete and in electromagnetic stuff all around them, and everything about them is protecting themselves from nature because they've got PTSD and they're going to take down the planet with them, right? And then they start dropping atomic bombs. You've got to get through to them. How do you do it? I don't know. But it, what what um, Albert Hoffman said was that he had a strange presentiment. One day, April 16, 1943, and it told him, it's like a voice. In German, it was a Vorgenhull. It, it means more than a strange presentiment. In Greek, they call it Eureka, like a bolt from the blue. A transmission of something came in and said to him, essentially, Albert, go back and look at that LSD, 25, which is one molecule different from LSA, the morning glory seeds, in nature, which perhaps were involved with the, the mysteries of Eleusius and the Kayekion and may have been the ritual sacrament that the, the Greeks used for 2,000 years to connect them to source and to have a, a species initiation of understanding what they're in. And this is really important because previous cultures, even in the historical record, all had, well, I mean, many of them had psychedelic entheogenic um, sacraments. The, the Vedic Indian traditions had the Soma, which may or may not have been a mushroom. The Greeks had the, the rites of Eleusius. Um, all the indigenous cultures with all their plant medicines, um, all through the Middle East in Persia, they had Hayoma, the Syrian rue, which if you use to dye the carpets, is where the stories of magic carpets and genies and dajins come from, from this connection of the higher realms, right? Even Christianity, and as John Allegro has documented in the infamous book, The, the Mushroom and the Cross, potentially was a mushroom cult, right? The, the water to wine, it's just mushroom, it's pea, right? It's like all these, I mean, you know, anyway, the, you can research it. It's there, the Vatican's tried to bury it, but essentially there's a lot of historical, or there's enough evidence that it's open minds look. All of these religious cultures originally had an entheogen from the planet which connected them up to source. And that's in the historical record, not prehistory, because prehistory, potentially we didn't need the external plant material to do it, because we were connected to five-bar signal. So when we fell into egoic consciousness, think of it, if we're in cooperation and independence and we're all one in the Gaian biome, she's outreaching to us and she's like, fuck, you've lost the plot. You've forgotten who and what you really are, which was the entire value of all these mystery schools and these civilizations. You don't take these substances recreationally, like with the mysteries of Eleusius, you take them once in your life, every man, woman, even the slaves, right? would take the sacrament and they would know who and what they really were. They would reveal the divine within them 
and then they would go back into culture, into the cult of culture, and they would live their lives, but they would know context of who and what they really were. And without that planetary initiation, we are lost. And so that is the value of the psychedelics as our adolescent development. It had to come through the lab and the Model T assembly line um, of LSD in very incredible microgram, you know, 250 you know, micrograms for a trip. And it, it got into the gene pool. It got into the species pool and there was this mass awakening and then establishment, you know, blowback from it. But my intuitive theory is back in the 50s when LSD was legal, all the top companies around Silicon Valley, Palo Alto, which is now Silicon Valley, were using it. Um, the last legal test done with LSD in like 1959, 1970 that James Fetterman was involved in was looking at creativity, was looking at how, when essentially what we would say now, when you lower the default mode network and the ego, which is always trying to do everything, when you have all this other capacity you can't access because the ego is just filtering it. Like imagine if you're a, a carpenter or a, a person, you've got one tool and you're trying to use a hammer, like the ego, for everything. There's all these different capacities. You've got to utilize the other tools. So creativity, and they were having amazing results, you know, on, on, on what it can do. And I feel what LSD did and what nature did when it reached out to Hoffman and brought it in into the popular culture again, because there was this bottleneck. There was 500 years or more of history and peaking with the Industrial Revolution and then the wars and the wars and the wars, which culminated in the 1950s white picket fence reality and the atomic bombs, which meant there was a planetary buildup of like, what the fuck are you doing? And it's like, how am I going to get through? It got through. One molecule different LSD did all this thing. And then there's been this stepping stone since then of that awareness. And what the LSD did is it acted as a psychic lubricant to stretch our consciousness, our egoic consciousness, from linear consciousness, hierarchical consciousness, into distributed consciousness. And that is the same. When we say psychedelic, we can say entheogenic opening divine within, but specifically psychedelic. It's usually what we are doing. We know now the default mode network goes down. We are opening up to the spectrum of full consciousness, which is already there. And it's all happening all the time. How can you contain that in one little sliver of egoic consciousness? You can't, right? So nature's almost saying to us, I know what's coming because space time and our perception of time is this illusionary fall into consciousness, which, but Space-time is like a hyper-object. It's like a hyper-organism that has already happened. If my body was all of space-time and all of creation in microcosm, we could say that maybe the past is my little toe and the future is my little pinky. But look, they're connected. You know what I mean? They're talking to each other. It's because we're in, inside it, we can't see outside of it. But if you could step outside space and time, which is what source consciousness is, outside space and time, you could see the future's already happened and it's communicating to the past and it's holographically regulating itself as an organism for its greatest unfoldment, right? And so the psychedelic phase is like our puberty and we've had to go through that to get through the birth pangs of the ego and of history and all of that, and we keep blaming ourselves so much that we fucked up, we fucked up history, like, like starving Africans everywhere and concentration camps and Donald Trump and like capitalism and it's like yeah there's some really bad things and 
it's all perfect. I mean, the ego keeps trying to fix everything, but the ego did everything. And you know, the Einstein quote, the, the system which creates the problems can't be the same system or level of consciousness which fixes them. So it's like, we blame ourselves for the, the woes of history, but we forget. We think we're solely to blame, but that's the ego taking full credit again when we had one bar signal. I mean, that's what all the indigenous cultures with cyclic time say, is that it goes in, in waves. And it's like, there's golden ages, and there's bronze ages, and there's iron ages, and there's dark ages. History has been one bar signal, and we've been in PTSD, and we've been fucked up. Look at the planet, right? But we're becoming aware of that. So Gaia, I believe, has mediated this awareness, and she had to get through the culture blockage of the 20th century and get the psychedelics in there. And then we're ready for the entheogens. The entheogens have been around forever, right, let's just say. And people say, like, things with ayahuasca, well, how did the first shaman know to take the Banisteriopsis carpi vine of ayahuasca and boil it in a pot of boiling water with the chacruna leaves, which contain NN-dimethyltryptamine, and put them together to make the visionary brew ayahuasca? And the shamans say, well, the plant told them to do it, you know? And traditional academics and anthropologists are like, oh, that's pretty funny. But it's like, no, I mean, the whole idea in the Peruvian understanding of um, working with plant medicines, not just ayahuasca, is that you need to sensitize yourself to be able to pick up the subtle vibrations of nature broadcasting all the time. Nature is alive, intelligent, and talking to us, but we're deaf and dumb. We've forgotten how to hear it, because the ego, all our energy and all our consciousness has gone to hear just to the one frequency, the vritti, you know, the wind on water, the never-ending thinking. It's like, oh, I can fix it. We fucked it up. We can fix it. This is the problem, and it's not the solution. This is the solution. So to come back to what you're saying, it's like we have to let go of the idea that we're in control, right? We're one species amongst many, many in a planetary biome, and we have eradicated like what is it like a sixth of the species on the earth and we're going through the sixth great species extinction mainly because of our um, mismanagement of the ecosystem and our resource drain and our ignorance um, which is part of our egoic clouding you know and forgetting but in that process of remembering we have to resensitize and we have to come out of living in the mind to come back to the body and to come back to the heart so science tells us we have three brains. Three, right? You've got the head brain, which is traditionally where this intellect and the ego is, right? And we have the heart, which has, I just got the statistic the other day, 70% of the heart has neuronal cells, the same cells that the brain are made of in the heart. So the heart's obviously an organ, it's pumping blood around the body, it's doing all that type of stuff. And it thinks, but it thinks feels. It's like, you know, they say with emotional intelligence, it's like there's intellectual intelligence, right? And this is almost just like, I don't know, the hard drive, but the emotional intelligence and that that feeling, it's maybe a more feminine thing. And you look at history, it's been often described as patriarchy as well. And we know we've got left-right brain. We know we've got components. And if we're only using one and giving all energy to one, we're out of balance. We're kind of squatsy. We're world out of balance. So coming back to the heart brain and then coming back to the gut instinct, 
which um, science now says we have, you know, seven trillion microorganisms in our biome in the stomach, and I don't know how they measure this, but I've heard it say that they're in gestalt, uh, they're in a gestalt consciousness, but it's gamma consciousness. So I've been doing a lot of work with 5-MeO-DMT in the last three years, which is a whole other story. I've been working with neuroscientists and with shamanism in a, um, a modality I call neuroshamanism. And I founded an NGO called the Terra Incognita Project.org, which happens in the middle. And we're looking at ways to combine and unify these paradigms and look at the shamanic aspect of things like specifically tryptamines and 5-MeO with the neuroscience. And we know that we have alpha, beta, gamma, delta, um, theta states of consciousness and the different hertz that the brain waves move at, apparently the stomach is in gamma and gamma is unity consciousness. Gamma is the sense of everything's connecting. So snails, for instance, are in gamma consciousness all the time when they're... See those YouTube videos where they're making love and they're just like... and they're just moving around. And it's like, imagine if you're in unity consciousness. And unity consciousness is what you feel. You don't think unity consciousness, right? You feel it. And what I believe is happening, we've worked with some neuroscientists, and they've done legal before and after readings with the, the, the Buffo Alvarius toad medicine with 5-MeO-DMT. And we can see in the brain structure hypercoherence happening after 5-MeO-DMT. 5-MeO-DMT is a naturally endogenously occurring tryptamine in the human organism potentially created in the, you know, the gut has so much of the originating neurochemicals. The serotonin is produced in the gut. We think the tryptamines are produced in the lungs. The cerebrospinal fluid um, may also be from the gut, but it goes through the organism and are really fundamental to consciousness. So these things are endogenous, both NN-dimethyltryptamine, penealine, 5-MeO-DMT, um, but they seem to be the neurochemical keys to opening these capacities within us. So what I'm suggesting is, in the last few generations, there seems to have been a hologrammatic, loving sculpting by the planetary organism and source consciousness behind it to bring us back into unity consciousness. And we've gone through the psychedelic revolution. And at the moment, the very necessary um, integration of the medicalization of psychedelics on a cultural level is occurring paralleling an enormously more, perhaps, grassroots and diverse shamanic uh, reawakening on the planet using amphigens to help clean us out. So ayahuasca specifically has been at the vanguard of this, not just to have trippy visionary experiences, not just to calm the mind down as something these ego-dissolving substances do, but to clean out the body to clean out the energetic body and the emotional body of the stored traumas, which are like corruptions on the information of our hard drives and our, our, our vessel hard drives, which are layers of the onion separating us vibrationally from source. So imagine like everything source con and this is you know the whole 5-MeO trip, but essentially on 5-MeO-DMT, the frontal lobes uh, which are involved with ego and identity uh, lowered or reduced or flatlined, and that default mode network that the other psychedelics lower happens in these other areas of the brain, but there can be a complete neurochemically assisted flatlining of the ego, right? And when that brain goes down, these other networks remain. The heart, bing, network, and the, the stomach, um, you know, receiving the, the intuitive signal of connection to all things in gamma, 
those are always on but it's filtered the ego all the energy and all the consciousness goes just to that one egoic frequency so i believe what's happening is on the piggyback of ayahuasca which piggybacks on on ecstasy which piggybacks on lsd lsd opened the mind in the 60s ecstasy the heart in the 80s ayahuasca and the plant medicines gave us the idea of entheogens and awakening the divine within and opening the soul but they're also cleaning us out because we have endogenous 5-MeO-DMT and we are designed to connect and receive the full bandwidth signal of source consciousness when we go around the world ages and when the 5-bar signal comes back and the 5-bar signal is coming back in my humble opinion, right? And that is what we say is the awakening process. So we've been groomed the whole time and gone through the travails and horrors of history and the egoic sort of separation then we've gone through a psychedelic puberty. Now we're going through an entheogenic um, awakening. And the, the icing on that cake is 5-MeO-DMT, whether from synthetic or organic sources like the Bookwell Various Code or plant materials. There's still external catalysts. But even the external catalysts are teaching us how to use our operating system. How, like other cultures, like in Eastern traditions, like the Vedic maps have left behind, how do we achieve samadhi? How do we lower the ego? How do we open the heart? How do we learn to trust and to um, integrate the enormity of that white light oceanic you know, experience of source consciousness or God? How do we even get comfortable with these terms which Western culture is traditionally uncomfortable with because we've been so disconnected that we can't even stare God in the face and understand it, right? I mean, I think, was it McKenna as well? He said, the, the, the hardest thing for the average Western person to understand, a UFO might land on the White House lawn and they could understand and accept it more than they could understand that they have God consciousness within them. Because it's been so alien and so distant and it's been so um, commodified by the world's religions and packaged up. But the Gnostic appreciation that, you know, you have Buddha nature within, you have the divine within you, entheogenesis, awakening the divine within you, and it's not just the peak experience, it's the process, it's a relationship. And that relationship is ongoing. And after you, I believe you have potentially a full release 5-MeO um, galactivation, as I like to call it. I believe that that experience then unpeels all the layers of separation and holding on. And it initializes, it rejoins you with source consciousness potentially. And this doesn't necessarily happen to everyone every time first go. It's a relationship and everyone is different, so don't be attached to this outcome. But everyone has this within them. It's where we come from. It's where we go back to. And not only do we go back to it, I believe that when we have that galactivation of the full release opening on 5-MeO, which is boosted by the external catalyst of the sacrament, but is actually open with our own endogenous capacity, we're being taught how to access this ongoingly without an external catalyst. And we're being taught and almost like retrofitted, like initializing a hard drive, that galactivation of a full release 5-MEO experience never really goes away. The ego comes back, right? But that flame, that vibration of the 5-MEO activation, it's still there, just waiting for the ego to dip down. Some people find they have reactivations at night when tryptamines are highest and blood sugars are lowest. Some people find when they're daydreaming or meditating, they can dip back into source consciousness ongoingly. It's a relationship and it wants to inhabit 
the vessels. It wants to inhabit the temples of the human species. And all of this has been a preparation for our acceptance. And when people say integration of the shamanic or entheogenic or psychedelic experience, I don't think they really understand how big that really is. It's not going to be business as usual, right? If Dreamtime consciousness is coming back, then it changes everything. Like imagine species telepathy. Imagine this unification, and it's getting very close to it in Hollywood. You know, Sensate with the Wachowski brothers is all about these individuals who like share consciousness and can shift between bodies. It's like this um, outer event horizon has already been picked up in Hollywood and in the memes because it, it's coming in. This idea of like, like the hive mind. It's like the the the, the unity consciousness is one thing, but if we embody it and we stay on Earth embodying unity consciousness, what does that mean? Well, nature's done it before. Look at the insects. How do they do it? They have individuation, but they work cooperatively, usually through chemical messaging or something like that. But imagine a telepathic... I mean, oh my God, the raw naked face of God is just unbearable, right? It's awful in the fullness of the awe. And if anyone's had that fullness of the 5-MEO experience, it's too much. Thank you, more, please, yes, gracias. And it stretches us. And then imagine if you were connected to the other 7 billion people on the planet right now. It would be too much. So we're being gradiated and groomed for full awakening. And I think it's not just as a species, it's as a planetary organism of the planetary biome of all the species, cooperatively in the web of life, being aware of how their energy feeds and is fed upon and how it shunts around to optimize life itself. Where, you know, you could just, you need my body? I'll give up my body and take my, my, my chi and my essence and I'll feed it onto the hive and you build that thing over there that evolution is wanting to be built. We are all God's Lego, right? And it's play. Let yourself play. Let yourself be built into something greater than the sum of the parts. That's where I believe it's heading in our generation. We've been talking with the great Rakrizam. You can find more at rakrizam.com.